Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Good morning. I'll be reading from Job 121. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Thanks, Susanna. Appreciate it. Thanks for not taking my sermon this time, Tom. I appreciate it. Uh, before we start, just want to get to know you guys a little bit more. Uh, any J.R.R. Tolkien fans in the room? Hobbit readers, Lord of the Rings? About half of us. Cool. So I just started uh, reading through uh, his books, the trilogy. The Lord of the Rings trilogy has three books, the first of which is Fellowship of the Ring, which I just got done reading. And if you're familiar with the story, uh, the main character, Frodo, hops into a boat, and his buddy Sam hops in with him, and they're headed over the river, escaping the orcs, all the bad guys, and leaving behind the heroes that had accompanied them, and they are headed deeper into enemy territory towards Mount Doom. What is going to happen to Frodo and Sam? It is the 13th uh, cliffhanger of all time, according to Google. Uh, So if you've read it, you have participated in that. And our Jonah series also seems to be vying for a place amongst the top cliffhangers of sermon series because we've had about a month break since the last time uh, we were in Jonah and then a few-week break before that as well. But as we look at Jonah, it seems fitting that we would have all these cliffhangers because the book of Jonah itself actually is filled with cliffhangers. Uh, You might remember the book starts out with a big storm. What's going to happen to the boat? The sailors, are they going to make it? Well, they just toss out a guy into the Mediterranean Sea. The storm abates. The sailors are saved. Cliffhanger solved. What happened to the poor guy who's drowning in the Mediterranean Sea? What's going to happen to him? Well, he gets swallowed by a fish. Whew, so glad I know that answer. But is he going to survive the fish? Three days later... We find out he does survive the fish, and that fish belches him up onto dry land. Cliffhanger solved. But now what is Jonah going to do? Is he going to follow the Lord's command and go to Nineveh, or is he not? Well, he chooses to go. Cliffhanger solved. He goes, he preaches to Nineveh, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. What's Nineveh going to do? Well, we find out about that cliffhanger too. They, they repent. But poor Ninevites, they have to wait 40 days to see what God will do in response to their repentance. And then we come to Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, which we looked at uh, a month ago. And we find out the end to that cliffhanger as well, that sure enough, God did relent concerning the calamity he was going to bring upon Jonah. And it would have been really nice if the book of Jonah ended right there. The end of chapter 3, there's a nice ribbon tied on top. Everybody saved. Even the prophet Jonah is redeemed a little bit. And the take-home application for Protestant preachers everywhere would have been, make sure that you're not more lousy of a Christian than Jonah was. Then you too can participate in a revival for 120,000 people. And that would have been a really nice way to end the book. 
Unfortunately, there is a chapter 4. And chapter 4 ends with a cliffhanger. And there isn't a part 2 and a part 3 of this trilogy because it is not written yet. So before we get to this cliffhanger, would you join me in a word of prayer? Jesus, we come before you with grateful hearts, grateful for what you did, for your sign of Jonah. Jesus, how you have rescued each of us from our own devastation. You have offered us your eternal life. And Jesus, we thank you that you have given us your word to reveal your truth to us. Lord, would you sanctify us by your word this morning? And would you, through the power of your spirit, speak through my words as I discuss your words? And would you change each of us to become more conformed to your image, Lord Jesus? Lord Jesus, thanks for all those who are with us online. I ask that you would bless and comfort and challenge them as well. As well as those who are not with us this morning, would you uh, be close to them and uh, return them to our fellowship quickly, we ask. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my sons, Truett and Brave, were four and one years old when they were helping my wife Liz in the bedroom fold laundry one day when my wife saw her phone buzzing and saw that I was calling. I had gone to Colorado uh, a little bit earlier. My dad needed a tree cut in his backyard, and he thought it'd be cheaper to fly me out than to hire a tree service. So I flew to Colorado, and he and I spent the better part of the day cutting down a tree. And a couple hours before I had called Liz, Liz had got this text from me, and she later screenshotted it and have a copy of it here. That's me on the left telling Liz that I'm prepping for the big cut to the top off the top half. I'm the climber cutter. You can pray for my safety. Later she replied, sure, and I just prayed. Smiley face. Love you. That day my dad and I had spent cutting the tree down, a big old tree, and we were cutting off the branches to the side. You can see a picture of the tree here. Um, and we were working up, cutting off all the branches on top. I'm about three-quarters of the way up there. And we had cut off all of the branches except for one, that branch that goes off to the left with all the green on it. It has the red arrow to it. And I was standing on that branch when I remembered, oh, yeah, I got my phone in my pocket. Let me text Liz and ask for her prayers before I do, you know, the, the dangerous cut of the day. So, hey, Liz, pray for me. going to cut it. Eh, whatever. An extra text won't hurt. Put it back in my pocket. Well, my dad and I, you can... Well, you could almost see like a, there's a, a rope that we had tied from the top of the tree going away from my house so my dad could pull the tree away from the house when it starts falling. And I was standing on that branch that kind of goes over there and it was time to cut. And so I'm cutting the tree. My dad's pulling the rope as hard as he can. The tree starts leaning. I keep cutting. The tree starts popping, pop, 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 pop. I keep cutting. He keeps pulling. And for any of you who have ever had the joy of cutting a tree down, know the fun of the next part where the top half really starts popping, pop, pop, pop. And you keep cutting and you see the tree start going. And if you're a man, you have this instinctual urge to yell out something barbaric like, timber. And I didn't quite make it through that word. My memory stops at the B. And the next thing I remember, I am being strapped to a backboard by two men who are also putting IVs in my arm. 
At which point I asked them, are you EMT basics like I used to be? Or are you EMT paramedics and actually know what you're doing? <laughs> they say that they're both paramedics. I say, thank God. And I say, go ahead and give me as much drugs because this really hurts. Apparently I was on that branch cutting the tree down. The top of the tree started falling as it did right at the cut point. It snapped and it broke my skull, knocked me out, knocked me out of the tree, fell, landed, broke my back and my rib. Well, the, the, the paramedics got me stabilized, got me to the ER, full of narcotics. I'm laying in the ER bed and I remember, oh, I still got my phone in my pocket. Let me call Liz and tell her the exciting news. <laughs> call Liz. Hey, Pete, how'd the cut go? For Liz... In that one moment, the potential health, stability, and her future with a husband who wasn't paralyzed was seemingly taken from her. Have you ever had something or someone taken from you? Perhaps you did have a strong marriage. Perhaps you were gaining respect at work or at school. Perhaps you did have a good group of friends until they moved away or just stopped being friendly. Job chapter 1, verse 21, our scripture for the day. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's easy to bless the name of the Lord when he gives. But what do you do when the good Lord taketh away? Well, in our passage today, Jonah chapter 4, we will get to see how God uses the tool of giving and taking away to invite you to have your heart aligned to his. Last time we looked at Jonah about a month ago, we saw that God is on mission, and it's a mission to rescue all of humanity from eternal conscious torment in the lake of fire. And he has invited you to join him on this mission as one who is surrendered to his plan of relentless grace. And to best join him in this mission, we saw that you are invited to align your heart to God's. And we saw that God's heart is a heart of compassion. And the Hebrew word used to describe God's heart of compassion is similar to when I'm holding my, my fourth baby, baby Nicole, in my hands, and, and I'm just adoring him, and I'm cherishing him, and being like, nothing will ever hurt you, buddy, I promise. And I have this desire to spare him from all evils, from all wrongs, to cover over him. And we saw that this is the kind of compassion that God had for Nineveh when he spared Nineveh. And how Jesus had for Jerusalem when he came in and he wanted to cover over Jerusalem like a hen covers over her chicks. And how God has covered you with his compassion in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. And since God is a God of compassion, and since you are called to align your heart to God's, to be on mission with God is to have a heart of compassion. So I ask you the question, where is your compassion? Or put maybe a little bit clearer, on whom do you place your compassion? Jonah had just preached to Nineveh. 
they had repented and God had relented concerning the calamity he was going to bring them. And that didn't sit too well with Jonah. So he has a little temper fit and we're privy to this temper fit uh, in our passage today. Jonah chapter 4, you can go ahead and go there. Uh, by the time we're done today, we will have read through the entire chapter. So it would be a good one to turn to. Uh, it's on page 757 if you can't find it. Jonah chapter 4. Thanks for laughing. It's a really bad joke. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. We'll start reading. You can follow along uh, in your Bible or it'll be available on the screen as well. It says, But it greatly displeased Jonah. It displeased him that, that God didn't destroy Nineveh. It displeased Jonah and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And then the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Do you have good reason to be angry? And that's a, a great question for you and I to ask ourselves when we get angry. Do you have good reason to be angry? Because Jonah got angry when God spared uh, Nineveh from devastation, but he wasn't very angry when God spared him from drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, we have a record of his psalm of thanksgiving in chapter 2. But like Jonah, you and I often get angry because of someone else's sin. And you may think that that sinner is deserving for what's coming to them. And maybe so. But how often do you and I dismiss our own sin and believe that God's grace should spare us? It's like there's a sin hierarchy and some sins are worthy of damnation, specifically the other person's sin. But my sins of gluttony and laziness and watching that inappropriate movie on Netflix, ah, God, you can spare me on that one, can't you? And that's how Jonah's feeling right now. But that doesn't seem like a very valid reason to bring up to God, so Jonah doesn't answer God's question. He goes on, and we'll read uh, verse 5 through verse 11. Follow with me. Jonah chapter 4, verse 5. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Jonah thought he did this time, so he answers, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant, for which you did not work, for which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right and left hand, as well as many animals. And then the story ends. Just like that. With a question. A cliffhanger. What's going to happen? How does, how does Jonah answer? What does God do? 
We don't know. But notice the contrast between the two objects that receive compassion. Verse 10, Jonah's compassion is on a plant. Verse 11, God's compassion is on people. And notice why Jonah has compassion on a plant. Verse 6 says, The Lord God appointed a plant, it grew up over Jonah, to be a shade over his head, to deliver him from his discomfort. Jonah was extremely happy. By the way, if you ever play trivia and you want to know Jonah's only positive emotion, it was happiness. And it was when he received comfort, when God gave him comfort. But when that source of comfort is taken away, he gets angry about it, and it reveals an answer to a question that you and I are asked today. That question is the first uh, blank in your sermon outline. Uh, If you have one by the door or there's a PDF online, your question for today is, is your compassion for yourself or for others? Is your compassion for yourself or is it for others? For Jonah, his compassion was for him. He cared more about his comforts, his plants, than he cared about the salvation of even those Ninevites. But I remind you, for you to be on mission with God, your heart is to be aligned to his. And his heart is a heart of compassion for people, not a plant, a source of comfort. Where is your compassion? And we're going to answer that question today. It's going to be a test we all do. Everybody loves tests. Your answer, God oftentimes uses three areas of your life to reveal your answer. And just so happens, those three areas all start with the letter T, as any good preacher would have it, so it's easy to remember. Your answer to the question, is your compassion for yourself or others, can be answered in this way, based on where you place your time. Where you place your time. Time is often considered the most valuable resource, and for good reason. In Job chapter 14, verse 5, we read, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. Nothing you do can give you more time. So how are you spending it? On my phone, I have an app called Screen Time, and I checked yesterday what my weekly average of screen time was. I'll share it with you. So I spend approximately six minutes a day on Facebook Marketplace, selling belongings of my home. I spend about 11 minutes a day texting and four minutes a day calling. And either myself or my kids spend about three minutes a day taking or looking at pictures. What does your phone tell you about how you spend your time? How much time do you spend caring for your body? Preparing, eating, cleaning up food, exercising, putting on makeup, combing your hair, cutting your hair. How much time do you spend caring for someone else's physical well-being? Or fixing your boat, manicuring your yard, cleaning your house. But maybe more important than how do you spend it is for what purpose do you spend your time doing those things? Is it for your own gain and glory? Or is it to provide something for another, to have a clean house so that you can raise your family in a healthy environment and have a hospitable home to invite your neighbors? God has given you a lot of time. 
But what happens when he takes it away? February 27th, 2013, uh, younger Pete was coming home with a younger Liz from the hospital with our first baby, baby Truett. Somebody left us alone with one of these things. Well, I found out what my emotions are when someone takes my time. Specifically, when a little someone takes my time at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Do you have good reason to be angry? But it's not only how you spend your time. How do you spend your treasure? Where do you place your treasure? We're told in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And your credit card app probably gives you a nice pie chart of where you spend your money. And if you're like me, perhaps you spend most of your money on food and rent, especially if you have a young family who eats a lot. Does that reveal that you're selfish and hoarding all the money for you and what's yours? Or does that reveal that you are selfless and you are giving to provide for your kids, for your spouse, to have a, a sizable home that you can invite your neighbors to, invite your grandkids over for a summer break, to be a part of raising them? And what about tithing, which also happens to start with a T? To which a younger, more pharisaical Pete asked an older, much wiser man in this congregation who read our announcements this morning, does that mean 10% of my gross income or 10% of my net income? To which he so wisely answered with the truth from Proverbs 3.9, which says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Do you give to God your first fruits, or do you give your first fruits to Uncle Sam? And what do you do when God takes away your treasure? For some of us, on April 16th, if you didn't quite calculate your withholdings correctly, maybe you found out how your emotions are when someone takes from your treasure. What about when you lose your job, or a business deal goes south, or a friend doesn't pay you back? Do you have good reason to be angry? Does not God have the right to take away what he has so freely given? And the way in which you're spending your time and spending your treasure and respond when those things are taken away, reveal where you put your trust. Our third T today is where do you place your time, your treasure, and your trust? For Jonah, a prophet to the nation of Israel, remember, it probably didn't make much sense to him to go to an enemy nation and prophesy to it. Let's imagine that he never went to Nineveh. What would happen to Nineveh? Perceivably, they would have been overthrown in 40 days. Had they been overthrown in 40 days, perhaps in 50 years, the Assyrian army with Nineveh as, as one of its main cities might not have been able to come and capture and exile Israel. For Jonah himself personally, as a prophet, if he went to Nineveh and said, hey, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown, and then that doesn't happen because they repent and God relents, uh-oh, is he a false prophet now because what he said didn't come true? He probably memorized Deuteronomy 18.20 verses 
Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22, which says, if you are a false prophet, you are to be killed. It didn't make much sense to Jonah politically or personally to go to Nineveh. And so instead of trusting God with his time and his treasure of the gift of prophecy, he trusted himself with what made sense to him, and he tried to flee to Tarshish, and we all remember the fishy situation that got him into. Yeah, I got like three of you to laugh on that one. <laughs> Get in there. And so in response to Jonah not trusting God, Remember, that's the context of our story. Jonah is not trusting God. There's something has been revealed in his heart as not aligned to God that God says, okay, let me get out my toolbox. Let's select a gift, or let's select a tool. Okay, the tool of giving and taking away. And then God uses giving and taking away to reveal to Jonah and to you and I what is in his heart. We see it in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, that God appoints a fish, and that is a giving that God gave to save Jonah. In chapter 4, verse 6, God appointed a plant to bring comfort to Jonah. But then, in verse 7, God starts taking. He, he appointed a worm to eat that plant, to take away his comfort. And then in verse 8, he appoints a wind and a sun to beat down on Jonah's head and to take away Jonah's comfort. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Did Jonah bless the name of the Lord? Well, he sure did when God gave him things. We have a record of his song of blessing in chapter 2. But when God takes away a measly little plant, a little source of comfort, for Jonah, he gets angry with God. Are you angry with God for taking something or someone away from you? Maybe you've had a friend who had someone or something taken from them, and they've gotten so angry, they've, they've directed their anger at God, and they have stepped away from the church. They have stepped away from God. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Will you bless the name of the Lord? Where is your compassion? Is it on a plant, or is it on people? Whether God actively caused that thing or that person to be taken away, like he did with Jonah, or if God passively allowed that thing or that person to be taken away, as is the case in the book of Job. Either way, the giving and the taking away, the trials of your life are an invitation from God to you to expose an area of your heart and see what is and isn't aligned and to ask you the question, where is your compassion? And we know that's true because in Romans chapter 8, and you can go ahead and turn there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and Romans Chapter 8, verse 28, a, a verse that uh, Pastor Perry reminds us of often, telling us the plan, the plan for your life and mine. We read this, Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that God causes all things, things that are given and things that are taken, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And here's what the good looks like, verse 29. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. For those of you who are in Christ, you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's a time, maybe right now, that the Lord, maybe it isn't a time of giving, it's a time of taking. The Lord has either taken or has allowed to be taken from your life. It's an invitation that God is possibly exposing an area of your life and saying, hey, here's an area of your life you can align to me. Will you bless me in this area? But the good news of the, for those of us who are in Christ is you do not have to align your heart to God yourself. That is not a work that you can do. We are told that that is a work of the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who gives you the desire and the ability for your heart to be conformed to the image of the Son for your heart to be aligned to God's heart of compassion for people and not the plant of your life. You and I don't get to know how Jonah's story ends. We don't know if Jonah repents like the pagan soldiers repented in chapter 1. We don't know if Jonah repents like the wicked Ninevites did in chapter 3. And we don't know if God relents concerning the calamity that God was probably going to bring upon Jonah unless if Jonah repents. And perhaps we don't know that answer, and the book ends with a cliffhanger because the story is not just about the history of Nineveh, and it's not just the story of Jonah. Perhaps the story ends in a cliffhanger because God is asking you the same question that he asked Jonah. What is the object of your compassion? Would you pray with me? If you're here and you've never experienced the compassion of Jesus, he wants to have his compassion on you, and he wants to spare you from an eternity without him. Would you cry out to him and and say, Lord Jesus, have compassion on me. Forgive me for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross, and thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. Will you help me become more like you? And for the rest of us, Jesus, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit and that we would yield to you every day, that we might be conformed to your image, that our hearts might be aligned to your heart of compassion, not for our own comfortable plants in our own lives, but that we would have compassion on others. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.